The Elk Talk podcast is brought to you by the Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation, ensuring the future of elk, other wildlife, their habitat, and our hunting heritage. To become a member, go to rmef.org. Welcome to the Elk Talk podcast with Randy Newberg and Corey Jacobson, presented by the Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation. The goal is what little you and I know about elk hunting, we share with people. I've got an elk building. It's like 120 yards away. What do I do? First off, the thought would never cross my mind when an elk being 120 yards away to call anybody on a cell phone. <laughs> All elk. All the time. Only elk. Only elk. Well, it's us having conversations. So we usually go down some rabbit holes. But if you hunt with Corey Jacobson, you will find the landscape is full of rabbit holes. We're just going to make this up as we go. And you look at it like, oh, that's a target-rich environment. But if you're trying to single one out, a solo target there is much easier to go into than a, a big group. We record everything, so there's no BS and no lying, no faking it with us. <laughs> Did we hit the record I button? I forgot to hit the record <laughs> button. If you want to know something about elk hunting, this probably isn't the podcast to listen to. <laughs> <laughs> Should we give them a list of all the other podcasts wow. where they might learn something? <laughs> Happy late Thanksgiving, Corey Jacobson. How was it at your house? It was good. We uh, had all three of the kiddos home. We went to my wife's parents and uh, had a, a great day. And then we got Great. to do some hunting over the weekend for whitetail and uh, just had a, a great time. It's good to have the kids home from college. Isaac and Jesse both came home and Sam uh, Sam got to leave home for a couple of days to go whitetail hunting with us. And yeah, it was good. Thanks for That's asking. a great Thanksgiving. Yeah. yeah. How about you? Ah, it was great. I, uh, my son Matthew and his girlfriend Lillian came to town and I still had a uh montana general elk tag in my pocket because i let that bull go opening day uh, <laughs> but i had to do a little marriage calculus over the weekend and the fact that i'm going to be gone for well it's easier to calculate how many days i'm going to be home i'm going to be home i leave tomorrow i'm, I'm going to be home 11 of the next 37 days uh Wow. And I'm dra and even when I do get home, I'm dragging my wife back to northern Minnesota for a wedding the first week of January. <laughs> I mean, that's quite a vacation destination, right? International oh. Falls, Minnesota, the first in, week of January. I was gonna say in the in the heart of winter. Yeah, so I uh somewhere along the last couple podcasts, me and my bragging and carrying on, I I got right to the boundary of or else. I would uh -oh. say but whatever or else means, you don't want to find out. And in my 34 and a half years of marriage, I've never <laughs> never got to or else. But I think I was getting kind of close. So, See, and I know, though, I know what spurred this. What's crazy is you've made it 34 and a half years without getting there. Mm -hmm. But your wife listened to one episode of a podcast where you gave marital advice and that instantly yep. propelled you into the or else category. Yep. And if I find out which listener sent that to my wife, <laughs> I'm going to run them over in the parking lot. 
because uh, now, now she just smiles and she's like, you know, I could end your marriage advice counseling uh, pretty easily, but <laughs> and so I'm actually I, I'm, go- I'm actually going to give you opportunities here to uh, learn some real advice you can pass along to your listeners. Yeah, so if you look at my fingertips, I'm holding up to the camera. They're just now back to normal from being waterlogged. I did more dishes over the last five days. I didn't know you could dirty that many dishes over a Thanksgiving weekend. (laughs) When was the last time you did dishes before that? Well, you know, I'm pretty good about it when I'm home. You know, if I dirty a dish, I, I... fill up sink with some water and I do the dish and put it in the drying rack. And if there's any she had that might've been laying around, I'm, I am kind of like the dishwashing guy at the house. Uh, Do you not have a dishwasher? Well, that's another story. That's, that's about me not being handy. It's broke right now. And I haven't been home long enough to call the handyman to fix it. Because she's of the belief that if you call a handyman when a male is not there, that the handyman will try to rip off a woman. Oh, yeah. You know? So she's like, I don't want that fixed until you're going to be home. I'm like, well, look at my calendar. You know, we can't get Fred over here. And, and so, yeah, we have a dishwasher, but right now it mostly serves as a drying rack. Gotcha. So that's, that is another reason why I feel some obligation to have done as many dishes. As yeah, I did. because it's so. your fault the dishwasher can't get fixed because you aren't going to be yeah. home. Yeah. And so the last time she took her Honda in to the dealership, she, she's like, well, get the tires rotated. And they're like, came back, oh, they don't need it. I'm like, no, I want those tires rotated every 5,000 miles. Well, she comes home. She's like, they didn't rotate my tires. I'm like, well, I'll do it. Don't worry about it. So I'm looking at the tires on my Ford Raptor. I'm like, you know, I I need to rotate those things. But I just get tired of crawling under there with that little Mickey Mouse jack and everything that they they give you. Yeah. So in high school, across the street from us was Maggart's Machine and Welding. It was a machine shop and mechanic, you know, diesel repair shop and skitters and logging equipment. And John Maggart, the owner, used to let me be the swamper while I was in high school. You know, I could pick up a few extra dollars and crawl down the drain hole and get all the grease and diesel fuel and everything else out of there. <laughs> so I'm kind of like the Charlie Daniels of the floor jack. I mean, I, I can I, I can pretty much take apart a floor jack and put it back together, replace the seals and everything. Wow. So I'm like, you know what, Randy, Christmas is coming. Why don't you go get yourself a really nice floor jack and rotating these tires won't be nearly the headache, you know? You've been such a tightwad accountant all your life. You've done it with your high lift jack or with your little hydraulic jack that you have. So I drive on down to the, I'm not going to say the name of the store. They they got a sale going on on floor, you know, floor jacks. Well, everybody does. This was, this was over yeah. uh, Black Friday to Cyber Monday weekend, right? <clears throat> yeah. So I go there and I look at the crowd running around there and the bongs working there. I'm like, boy, this is going to be interesting. There's one remaining floor jack in the store. And I run over and I grab it and I throw it in a cart. Well, I drive home, 
I'm like, all right, mission accomplished, boy. I'm going to have these tires rotated in like no time. I'm bragging to Kim. I'm like, hey, boy, you're, you're going to want to just drive around town with those newly rotated tires. And I'm explaining <laughs> her, you know, if it's front wheel drive, you move the front ones to the back and then swap sides. And if it's rear wheel drive, you go take the back tires and move them to the front and put the front ones on the opposite back side. You know, I, I've done this enough. I'm like, I could write a manual on it. <laughs> so I get home. And I pull the, the high lift or the, the floor jack out of the box and put it together. And they're right there in the instructions, it says, before you start, you got to bleed the, the cylinder, you know, get the air out of there. Well, everybody knows that, right? You, you pump it up, put enough pressure in there, and you bleed the little valve, and the air comes out. And then there's no more air in there. So now it's all hydraulics, and it'll lift the, the jack. All right. So I'm doing that. Air comes out, jacket again. Air keeps coming out and keeps coming out. Usually you get the air bled out of there. So after about, I don't know, 10 efforts of filling this up and, and bleeding air out, I'm like, how can there be this much air in there? Well, I go get my needle nose pliers and I pull the rubber cap off that where you fill the, the little cylinder with uh, fluid. There's no fluid in the darn thing. I'm like, what? <laughs> so now I got to disassemble it, throw it back in the box, and I got to drive back to this store. Well, do you know how long the return line is at the store on Sunday after Thanksgiving? Pretty long. It, it's re really long. It's yeah. longer than the checkout line. So I stand there for the longest time, and I see this dude running the, the returns, and he's got... Yeah, this is going to be terrible to say, but the amount of stuff hanging off his face and lips and nose and stuff, I'm like, <laughs> what happened to this you, guy? You're is talking it, artificial jewelry, I'm guessing. Yeah, he's got like a chain drive earring and all kinds of stuff going from his ear to the corner of his mouth. And I'm like, I hope I don't get this guy. Well, sure enough, I've stood in line long enough. Who do I end up with, this guy? And he wants to argue with me about this jack he's like well did you bleed it i'm like yeah i did there's nothing in there there's no there's it's all air there's i mean you can bleed it until <laughs> forever so it was more difficulty trying to get my money back by returning a jack that they forgot to put fluid in i almost left and i thought maybe that's their strategy yeah. they just want you to get so frustrated you just say here keep the damn thing and you don't even get a refund <laughs> So by the time I come home from all this, I'm not the happiest guy around because I'm about ready to really impress my wife with what a good dude I am. Before I leave town, man, I'm got the snowblower full of gas. I got the gas can full of gas. I, I, I mean, I got like my mental checklist of everything. Called the big snowplow guy like, hey, if we get more than four inches, you better be here to plow the driveway. I mean, but anyhow, I come back. <laughs> And to her credit, Kim is like, can I get you a coffee? I'm like, yeah, I think I need a coffee about now. So I just sat there and watched a football game and calmed down for a little while. It's, so that, did, that's you, the, did you rotate the tires? No, I didn't. <laughs> I told her, I said, you know what? 
Are you driving any any big distances? We got you, we got your CRV, and then we got a passport here. You know, one of them, you you could drive one or the other, right? She's like, yeah, don't worry about it. You can take care of it when you get home. So, if anybody has a floor jack that they'd recommend, let me know. Maybe they'll put, actually put fluid in it. I've never. I, I mean, it, have you, you ever bought a has has anyone ever bought a hydraulic jack that didn't come with fluid? So I haven't. I, no. I don't want to throw any any retailers under the bus, but did it start with an H and end with a Arbor Freight? Ah, uh, nope, it didn't. Okay, act. well then, then it should have had fluid in it. I was say there. You know, it, there's sometimes when you if you go to a place like Harbor Freight, you mm-hmm. can expect that you're getting such a good right. deal that there's probably going to be a few that slide through the line and and maybe don't pass the quality control yeah. inspection. But outside of that, if you're going somewhere else, you probably deserve to have fluid in a floor jack. Yeah. So I, I'm sure the audience is wondering, Randy, what the hell does this have to do with elk hunting? Yeah. Well, yeah. it has a lot to do with elk hunting because while we're sitting around eating turkey, we have our friend over. She had no, you know, she's alone for Thanksgiving and my wife always invites her over. And uh, we get on the topic of, well, season must almost be over. And Kim kind of has this abrupt stern look and says, no, he's still got two more hunts. <laughs> Like, cut the conversation out. Boom, he's still got two more hunts. I'm like, who, man, I am so far out on the thin ice right now, I can read that body language. And then somewhere along the way over the weekend, she saw me going, you know, it's planning season, right? And she hears me and Matthew, my son, talking about, well, what do you think for this upcoming season? You know, should we this, should we that, da, 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 da. And uh, she says, are you going to hunt as much next year as you did this year? And I said, I, I just like straight face. Nope, not not a chance. She's like, good. I said, no, I'm going to hunt more. <laughs> she did not. That was a joke. She did not see the humor in that joke. So, uh, I'm, I'm yeah, guessing I, she didn't even make a comment. Like she didn't need to say anything after you said that. No, she stood there because Matthew and I were sitting on the couch kind of look, you know, conversing on this. And she happened to be standing over in the entryway to the living room. And when I thought I was being funny, she turned and walked right back to the kitchen. And (laughs) it was was like, uh oh, that was not very smart. So see the difference between uh, humor and mm non-humor is usually timing. Yeah. And and to to make a joke about... (laughs) being gone more next season than you were this season while you're still in the middle of being gone this season. <laughs> yeah. It's probably who, not funny. Yeah. Who thought that was a good idea? Yeah. Right? I, I, I just, I told her, I said, look, honey, my job is to make you laugh all the time. And she's like, you know, usually you do a good job at that, but that was not funny. <laughs> so, To make up for it, I took everyone out to breakfast on Saturday morning. I took everyone out to breakfast Sunday morning. I don't know what I got to make. I got to come home with flowers or something this afternoon before I. She saw me loading the truck yesterday afternoon. She's like, 
boy, you're loading a lot of stuff. Going to be gone a long time. I'm like, oh, yeah, uh, I didn't, <laughs> I didn't want to crack any jokes about that. <laughs> but uh, here, here's what this has to do with, with an elk talk podcast is it's planning season, right? We're, we're the hunting season's almost over for most people. In fact, I'd say for anyone other than a nodhead like me, it's over. The Elk Talk Podcast is brought to you by Go Hunt. If you want the best application tools, best research tools, the best gear shop, everything all in one place, Go Hunt is the place to get it. That's what we use, and that's what a lot of you use. If you're interested, go out to GoHunt.com. When you sign up, use promo code ELKTALK, and they're going to put $50 of gear credit in your shop account. And when you do that, you're going to have access to all these same tools that we use to make sure we go hunting every year. GoHunt.com, promo code ELKTALK. The Elk Talk podcast is also brought to you by Mountain Ops, making outdoor energy and performance nutrition to make you a stronger and healthier elk hunter. They have a full line of hunting-related supplements, including meal replacement shakes, multivitamins, pre-workout fuel, and post-workout recovery, and my favorite, their new performance protein bars that, by the way, are packed with 270 calories and 20 grams of protein, but contain less than 6 grams of sugar. Visit mountainops.com to learn more and to order, and be sure to use the promo code ELKTALK to save on your next order. ELKTALK podcast is also brought to you by the University of Elk Hunting. The University of Elk Hunting was founded by Corey Jacobson. It is now part of the suite of courses out there at outdoorclass.com. So if you want to sign up for the University of Elk Hunting and save some money, go out to outdoorclass.com and use ELKTALK as your promo code, and you'll get 20% off. But more importantly, you're going to get the University of Elk Hunting. You're going to get other courses from Outdoor Class taught by Corey Jacobson, Remy Warren, Randy Newberg, John Barklow, Hank Shaw, Jamie Teagan, and on and on and on. There you have it. Outdoorclass.com will get you the University of Elk Hunting. Just make sure you use promo code ELKTALK and save 20%. So... We're in this transition where we're starting to plan everything for next year, right? We got our go hunt out there. We got our maps. We got everything. We're we're kind of scheming and strategizing. Well, in the interim, in the off season, even though it's planning season, do an awful lot of making up. You know, yeah. turn over the calendar, turn over what you know, get that honey do list crossed off, whatever it is. Uh, just don't go buy a floor jack with the promise that you're going to rotate somebody's tires and then buy a floor jack with no fluid in it. Uh, <laughs> Especially if you're counting on that to become part of your uh, your off-season activity that will hopefully gain you more hall passes yeah. next year. Yeah, but I think I'm in good shape because I got a text message just before the, the podcast here saying, are you going to be home for lunch? I'll make you something. Wow. Yeah. I'm like, no, but I'll be home for dinner if that counts for anything. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, I am the luckiest guy on the planet, Corey. How Kim puts up with what I do. And, and you know, most people think when hunting season's over, it's just, you know, to kick back and relax for for us yeah. but january starts show season yeah. i have two trade shows in january i got two in february i got one in march i got an appearance that i 
this little nonprofit group I've been promising for years. So I got to go to South Dakota. I'm going to go do that. And, uh, it never so. ends. And, and by the time you're done with that, it's spring season. So you've got turkey and bear and everything else. No, I got bear. Well, not turkey and bear. I don't know. You got drugged to a turkey camp this last spring. And I think uh, you, yeah. uh, you even mentioned on the podcast that you had plans for uh, for what you're going to do during turkey season this next year. Yeah. I'm going to go find the roosting tree and I'm going to shoot two drakes out of their jakes. Out. <laughs> See, I, I don't even know if they're drakes or jakes or what the hell they are. That's how few turkeys I've got. I'm going to shoot them right out of the roosting tree because it's legal in Montana. It's going to take me about 20 minutes to fill both my turkey tags. So that isn't even going to make an episode. <laughs> Because I'm, I'm sure you will you will get on the uh, good side of all the hardcore turkey hunters by shooting two jakes out of a tree. <laughs> who who watches turkey hunting? Well, I, I, I would ra- I would rather watch the senior golf tour <laughs> in a rainstorm <laughs> with bad company talking in my ear uh, than to watch a turkey hunt. Well, you know, I, I'm, yeah. Uh, anyhow, so yeah. yeah, then it'll be. Uh, I'll, I'm, I'll be doing spring bear and stuff like that. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. Well, but spe- I, speaking I of spring, we yeah. uh, Isaac and I made it out chasing wolves one day, and uh, mm-hmm. we got a little and? sidetracked. We uh, we didn't really? see any wolf tracks or anything, but we found a we found an elk shed. And then we found another one, and then we found another one. I think I ended up spotting 11 elk sheds and Mm -hmm. uh, because of where we went in and how steep it was and how far away they were, we were only able to pick up three of them. But our wolf hunt turned into a a shed hunt. So I'm excited for spring to be able to go back in there and pick up all the ones I found, plus hopefully find a few new ones. Yeah, well, by the time, since that's in Idaho... About the only thing I'll be doing in Idaho next year is maybe tagging along with you to be your camp cook. Or if you need some help shed hunting, I'm no good at it, but I could do that because your non-resident fiasco, <laughs> the, the the big debacle is going to happen between the day we're recording this podcast and the time it airs. Yeah. By the time you're listening to this, it's already happened. Yeah, Idaho is going to piss off about 40,000 non-residents. Yep. You know what, Noah? I've I've been doing some research on your Idaho gig, and I don't know. Do you know if this is true? <laughs> so, uh, if, if, if any of you apply in Idaho and you want to have part of that debauchery and mayhem that's going to go on on December 1st, knock yourself out. I'm out of it. I... I <laughs> I got better things to do. You know, I got to rotate the tires on my wife's car or something. I I ain't in on it this year. But did you know, this is what somebody told me, is if you have like eight different devices and they all have different IP addresses, you can log in eight times and get eight spots in line. And then when they shuffle the deck and assign where you're at in the line you just get rid of the seven that are further back in the line is there any truth to that so i have heard that i've not personally tried it i would guess it would have to be different ip addresses i have a hard time understanding why they would let you log in because you have to log in to an account right if you're logged into your account 
you shouldn't be able to log in on multiple devices with different IP addresses and be assigned different random numbers. But I've heard that's yeah. the case as well. That, uh, mm -hmm. you know, if you're on your phone and you aren't on Wi-Fi, you can be on your phone right there mm -hmm. next to your computer, both logged into the same account and get different places in line. So if yeah. that's the case, I, I mean, that's obviously that shouldn't, happen. And I think that if they eliminated that, it would probably cut down on how many people are in the waiting room. Yeah. And, and then there's this, you know, if you've ever stood in that line, like I have for a few years, I, I just figured last year I had a number like 4,200. That, that was my lucky year. I, it's like, I'll never get that lucky again. Usually I'm <laughs> over 14 or 15,000. But what happens is quick as they put the line, you know, they, they assign where you're at in line. It's amazing how many people drop off. Yeah. And I don't know if it's because they got frustrated and said, I, I'm number 22,000. I'm out of here. Uh, I'll, I'll go watch Oprah reruns today instead of do this. Uh, or if it's just that many people logged in on the same account multiple times yeah. that, when they dropped their other seven, all of a sudden the line just looked like it got a whole lot shorter, but it, it really didn't. Yeah. So you might, so be, I, you might get number 4,000, but there might only be 700 people actually in front of you by the yeah. time people drop out. Yeah. So I don't know if that's going on. I've just heard about it enough. I'm like, <laughs> well, it wouldn't surprise me given the intellectual technology that, that I see uh, on some of these websites, but I, I don't know. So I'm not in on that. I'm, I, I wish everybody in the world a whole lot of luck, but yeah. I'm, I'm, I got better things to do. And, uh, you know, you, you guys, so I don't know if they teach this in, uh, in the engineering curriculum, but if, <laughs> if you take the account, the accounting and economics and finance business curriculum, you get to go through these economic classes. You got to take two or three years of economics. And one of them goes into this idea of scarcity theory. Yeah. And there's two parts to the scarcity theory. Scarcity in reality and scarcity in perception. And why does somebody who's marketing something say, oh, limited time or while supplies last or because marketers have researched this idea that the human brain reacts to scarcity. Totally. And so even though you guys have pretty much the same number of non-resident tags as you did forever, you, you just moved them around for the most part of where they're good for. It created the perception of scarcity among non-residents. And so we fight like wolves. <laughs> So now you have way more people signing in and trying to get those tags because of the perceived scarcity. Yeah, see, and I, and I, I think you're trying to shift the blame because if you ask anybody out on the interwebs, it's your fault and my fault that there's scarcity now. Well, that's fine. Hey, yeah. I get blamed for a lot of stuff. I, I've been well, married 35 years. I've been blamed for things I've never done forever. I don't, that's fine. I, you know, if in, you our last, be, in our last episode, we taught, you know, I shared the number of hunters and number uh, of elk tags and everything in the state of Idaho, and it hasn't changed in the last 20 some years. And I thought, well, yeah. that'll, you know, that'll help appease some of the people who think we are a, a problem to the demand and, and everything that, hey, it hasn't really changed in 20 some years and 
You know, we, we aren't as bad as some people make us out to be. But then we got some emails from people saying, well, yeah, that's all great on over-the-counter stuff, but what about all the controlled hunts and the, the number of points it takes? You know, that's, that's you yeah. and Randy have, have had a hand in making that bad. And so I, I think, you know, there's, there's definitely, there, there's been an opening of people's eyes and opportunities to more non-resident opportunities mm-hmm. to get elk tags. And yep. in a lot of states, you have a, an option of buying a point or applying and getting a point. And more people are doing that than used to. And regardless yeah. of whose fault it is, that's the, that's the reality. And that's, yeah. you know, you look at Idaho and a few years ago, we could buy leftover tags as a resident that were left over from the non-resident pool because they couldn't sell mm-hmm. out all the non-resident tags that were available. And right. now they sell them out in a matter of minutes on December 1st. And right. there's still thousands of people that are screaming mad because they didn't get one and the, the system isn't mm-hmm. working. Yeah. And so that, if you went to business school, that is what's called scarcity in perception. In other words, you perceive that there's a scarcity. Even though the numbers stayed the same, someone messaged in a way to make you think there were fewer. And the human brain wants something that is scarce. Yeah. Why, 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 why do we value gold? Why? Not because there's none of it, but because we think it's scarce and hard to get. So, anyhow, uh, <laughs> I, I don't know if your agency had marketing people who thought that through and that's how they came up with that that's probably attributing a lot of a lot of scheming and and stuff to them but it's funny montana used to have a limited entry unit south of bozeman did i t- say this on the yeah, prior podcast I think, okay I think so, yeah. okay yeah anyhow it was it was a crappy hunt but because it went to limited all of a sudden the demand for it went crazy even though it was a crappy yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> but so it is transitioning to application and planning season. So with that, I am I am just hopeful that Go Hunt never charges me hourly or by the uh, the, the amount of data usage or whatever, because I just stay logged in this time of year. And it's like, all right, because I, I, I might get a while there. It's like, oh, I got to go look this up. So in planning season, that's when you get the tag for next year. So you can start doing your research. Yeah. And I'm always surprised how many people wait to the last minute to do that planning. And maybe I'm an, I'm like an old school accountant, right? And uh, the first day that Wyoming, you know, July 1st, you can buy your point for the future year. For Wyoming, I I do it July first. Yeah, but I know people who are out there the last day. I think is like October thirty first. They're like, oh no, I'm out out of hunt. I don't have connection. (laughs) I I'm not gonna. Well, uh, and you wonder why you 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 fall through the cracks. Yeah, I I set reminders for when the deadline is, Mm -hmm. and I put that deadline. As the first day, like if July 1st is when it opens, that is the deadline I set as the reminder. Right. Yeah. There's no reason to wait. And and I think, you know, Wyoming sent out an email here a few weeks ago saying tomorrow's the last day to buy your point. And Mm -hmm. I thought, 
I don't remember getting an email on July 1st from them saying, hey, you can get your point today. They wait until that very last minute to, to remind people when I think the majority of hunters are probably out in the field on October 31st. Yeah. So, anyhow, Idaho is going to already happen by the time this podcast airs. I'll be interested to hear all the weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth because if you're an Idaho resident, you got to be laughing at this, right? You're like, look at this fiasco we've created. And do we really care as residents? Nah, we care, but we don't care that much. Uh, well, I just look at it. I'm, I'm a non-resident in a lot of other states, and yeah. I apply for elk in a lot of other states. And I just think if the process, if I had to endure this process in another mm-hmm. state, I would yeah. be complaining like crazy. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, I, I do. I, uh, I yeah. sympathize a little bit with, yeah. with non-residents in Idaho because it's not a perfect system. And no. in addition to all of this debauchery, Typically, their system crashes. Mm-hmm. In addition to all the other hoops and the nonsense, typically, <laughs> even people standing in line last year, they were like, uh, folks, we're sorry the system's down. We don't know how long it's going to be until it comes back up, but just hold your place there in line. So instead of yeah. taking an hour off from work and thinking, I'm just going to run down and stand in line and get my tag, there were people that had to stand in line for four or five hours before the line started moving again. <laughs> Yeah, but you you said that you'd be complaining. You know how big the non-resident complaint box is at the Idaho Department of Game and Fish? <laughs> the, uh, yeah. the, the email address they give for complaints, when you send an email to it, it says, sorry, this email no longer is worked, or the, the inbox is full or something. So, I, This is a I sending account only. Do not reply. <laughs> yeah. So I, I just... I throw that out there because I get that people want that, but don't put all your eggs in one basket. Don't plan on getting a, a you know, a, an early position in the, in the long line of Idaho. Have other plans. Have your priorities. Have your budgets of time and money, and uh, you know, make it a bigger strategy. Don't put all your eggs in just that basket. But the one state that's up for grabs. I was just going to say the good news is if you don't get a tag in the Idaho debacle, there's always Alaska, Alaska. coming. Up. <laughs> yeah, and if well, I don't, we should have pulled the episode number from the Elk Talk podcast. But if you want to get scared away from applying in Alaska, go listen to the episode with Corey and Donnie explaining Corey's elk hunt. Uh, I I've never applied for elk in Alaska. I warned you what your hunt was going to be like, and you I'm never. Did not I, warn me. I, I you did convinced too. me. You convinced me to no. apply. No, I told you, you this is going to be the most miserable experience mm. of your elk hunting life. After I drew the tag, maybe you're the one that convinced me to apply for the tag in the first place. Oh, okay. Well, afterwards, I, I at least yeah. warned you what you're getting into. But yeah. anyhow, December 15th, if folks are interested, <laughs> go to Alaska Game and Fish, download the draw supplement, go read the strategy article out there on Gohan, and apply in Alaska. Yeah. You have nothing to lose. Maybe, than... your, maybe your life. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, your life, your hunting partner, your desire to hunt elk, your desire to go back to Alaska. Yeah, there's a lot of things on the line when yeah. you apply for Alaska. Well, I got a better idea than applying for Alaska. What's that? 
January 31st is the deadline for Wyoming elk. (laughs) And hopefully you have been buying points by October 31st every year, 50 bucks plus a transaction fee. And you can go elk hunting in Wyoming rather than Alaska. Well, I've heard there are changes this year in Wyoming as well. Yeah. We knew we knew it was coming, right? I we, know. We knew the Wyoming but legislature, to see, but to see that number in writing, mm-hmm. I mean, what's a what's an elk tag in Nevada? A thousand, twelve hundred, twelve hundred. What's an elk tag in Arizona? Like six, six hundred. Yeah, six fifty, something like that. Six hundred. New Mexico. Uh, depending on the the. Whether it's, it's a quality, maximum maximum in New Mexico is seven hundred and seventy eight bucks, and we're talking trophy states. Like these are states where you apply, hoping for a chance at a big bull, like yeah, quality you, control. Yeah, I think Utah. I think is a thousand bucks for an elk. Tag. Yeah, yeah. So how, explain to me uh, where Wyoming went. <laughs> Wyoming is, is ever since they split the non-resident draw into regular and special. Wyoming has adopted the uh, well. There's some people who just want to pay a lot. Yep, and as long as people are willing to pay to get what they feel are going to be better odds, yep, Wyoming's going to continue to capitalize on that yeah, as they have demonstrated this year. Yeah. So a couple of years ago, when their legislature met. Uh, they did a couple things. One, they switched uh, moose, goat, sheep, and bison to 10%. So it was 25%. It then went to 10% for non-residents. So that and means they the said, points that you have just effectively got cut in half. Or worse, yeah. Or yeah. worse, yeah. Yeah. So, and they did a huge fee increase for those four species and the special draw for deer, elk, and pronghorn. So Wyoming, right, 60% of the tags stay in the regular lower price draw. 40% of the tags go to the special draw where we're talking Adam Smith basic economic theory here, supply and demand. (laughs) Wyoming said, you know, the North American model on all this stuff about equal opportunity, nah, we got to fund this agency and we're going to fund it on the back of these 40%. Not totally. I'm, I'm joking there. Yeah. A lot, lot of contributions get made to Wyoming Game Integration. But the only difference between the regular tag and the special tag is the cost. The price. Yep. Yep. So by the time you count in the new increase in the tag fee plus your transaction fee, right? They charge you a $15 application fee and then a 2.5% credit card transaction fee. <clears throat> Hope you got $2,000 plus laying around if you're going to go in the special draw. Insane. It's the exact same tag, exact same regulations, exact same hunt dates. The only difference is if you're willing to pay a little more money, you might get better odds, which last right. year... Last year, what was it? Fourteen hundred dollars, I think, for a special tag. Thirteen, yeah, yeah. Thirteen something with, with all your transaction fees. And yeah, everything. yeah, yeah. And what's a what's a regular tag? Seven, six, eight, six, six, yeah, six, six something, I think, or seven something. So half yeah. the price, but mm-hmm. because of the perceived gain in uh, draw odds, 
Mm-hmm. Your odds are really not much better for most of the hunts going no. with the special. They just no. got twice as much money from you, and you didn't yeah. really have a better chance. I think going over $2,000 for a special tag, you might actually get better odds this year. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how many of us are going to fork over $2,000 for a general tag in Wyoming just to be able to cut yeah. a year off of how many points it takes. Yeah. It's, it'll be interesting to see how that plays out because every time they have done these increases, the the odds in the special pool get better for a couple of years. Yeah. And then all of a sudden people must get uh, acclimated to the price and they say, I just want to go. Yeah. So within about three or four years, you start getting this balancing where there really isn't that much difference in yeah. in how many points it takes. It just yeah. so but here's the lesson. <laughs> I, I don't know how many people have heard me say this. They get tired of me saying this. This is why you don't become a point collector. Because a couple things can happen. If you were in the regular part of the elk draw or the any part of the draw, any species in the regular draw, and that's where you were thinking, well, I'm just going to hold my points for another year, another year. There are probably going to be a ton of people who move from the special draw to the regular draw. Yeah. And the amount of whatever hunt you could have got with these points you've been sitting on probably is going to get a lot harder to draw with that same amount of points when a bunch of people and the people who are going to move are going to be the high point holders. They're going to be like, well, I could save. (laughs) save, This year I could save 1200 bucks by jumping over to the regular draw and I've got 14 points. That's what I'm doing. So this is where it really hurts the folks in the regular draw and why I hate this split in Wyoming. I, I do not, I've protested against it since they came out with this 60-40 regular special split, but their non-resident complaint box is even smaller than the (laughs) the Idaho (laughs) non-resident complaint box. But So this is why you don't become a point accumulator if you can help it, right? I get it that maybe, you know, a work issue, a family issue, whatever, maybe you can't burn your points that year. But holding points when you, the only constant in all this Western application stuff is that the states are going to change things for non-residents. Either they're going to change. it's going the, to hurt those with the right. most points. Exactly. Yeah. So that's why if you can, in any way, shape or form, just burn your points and start over. You know, <laughs> I, you know so if they change the system and you're only two or three points into it, it's like, well, I was still a little ways away anyhow. So it, it and they're probably matter. changing it to benefit those people more than than those with 20 points. Uh, yeah. I, I mean, uh, so they're also this price increase for deer and pronghorn. By the time you get done with your transaction fee and everything, are you going to pay $1,250 for a pronghorn tag? My goodness. Or a deer tag? It's insane. It's insane, but that's just they 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 have done a great job Some, of somebody man- will pay it. Somebody like, and pay that's it. the problem is there's somebody out there saying, just give me give me the tag. What can I do? I've been in here so long. What can I do to get this tag? And Wyoming Fishing Games looking at it, going, well, you can get your checkbook out and write us a big check and. <laughs> 
we'll uh, we'll see how far that gets you. All yeah. of this, and we're talking, you know, odds are probably going to get better in the special pool. Yep. But in the regular, they're going to get worse. worse. I mean, that's yeah. just that's the way it is. And this isn't even taken into account the possibility of the discussion of further restricting non-resident tags from, right. what is it, 16%? Yep. To 10%. 10%. So essentially losing 60% yeah. of the tags. Yeah. And there is a little caveat to that. Wyoming... Ha- Wyoming has to issue 7,250 non-resident tags by legislature. So they start with the pool of limited tags, right? Limited entry hunts. And that right now they give us 16% of those. And they make up the difference of, to get to 7,250, they make up the difference by issuing general tags. Gotcha. So what would happen, they'd still issue 7,250 tags, but only 10% would get to non-residents through the limited draw. So the limited hunts for non-residents would shrink and the amount of general tags available to non-residents would expand to get to that cap of 7,250. Which if you're confused listening to that, I I understand why, because the general tags are limited also in that (laughs) you have to apply for them. So they're all limited tags, but outside of the general tag, which is over the counter for a resident, the other controlled hunts are the ones that would be cut to 10%. Yeah. So people wonder why we spend so much time talking about this. Uh, And I've been in this non-resident apply wherever I can. I did my first application in 1995 in Colorado, and I added a state every year. I saved enough money, I added a state every year until I got to all the states I was interested in. Well, there's a lot of services out there that do have really smart people working at them who their daily job every day is to keep track of all the stuff that you and I, things like you and I just talked about. And if you got the money, you can hire them to build a plan for you, to do your applications for you, to help you put together gear lists. I mean, there are services that have tens of thousands of non-residents hiring them to do it. Yeah. Why? Because a lot of people are really busy and they have the money and they're going to hire these really smart people who it's their daily job to know all this stuff and to make sure their clients have the best chance or the, you know, they don't miss a deadline or whatever. Well, I think, and this might be wrong. I think some of that information, at least the basics of it should be shared with people who aren't hiring one of these services. (laughs) And that's what we do. Well, and what's crazy is it's all available. Like this information, it's not like it's behind a paywall somewhere. It's It's all the websites, but sometimes you need an attorney to be able to (laughs) decipher the wording and and the maze that you have to go through to be able to understand what all's going on in each of these states. And if you're applying in eight different states, that's a lot to keep track of all the changes and all the different, because every single procedure and process is completely different in each state. You know, yeah. whether you have to buy a license and a tag or whether your license is your tag or whether you have to have points or whether they don't have points. And yeah. I mean, there's just a, it's, it's very complicated when you're looking at all the different states 
yeah, together. And, and I understand why a lot of people hire these services to do it. Yeah. For a lot of people, that's just a good use of their time and money. You know what? I want elk in this state and deer in this state and deer in this state. No, I want elk here and da, da, da. And that person takes care of it for you. I yep. get it. That, I, that, that, that's America. You know, there's, there, there's a pain point and someone's going to so- take the pain away from you. Yeah. But I also think that it's helpful for the average person who isn't probably going to hire one of those consulting services or, you know, whatever you want to call them. Application okay. services. Yeah. That at least they have the basics. And that's what we yeah. do. We explain the basics of how the system works, how the deadlines, you know, da-da-da. We're not going to hold your hand. We're not going to tell you, hey, apply here, apply the, you know, this unit or that unit. That's that's part of the fun of planning season is building your own plan, you know. Yeah. Go, go Hunt used to have the the uh, uh, tagline, be your own application expert or whatever application or be your own consultant or whatever i thought that was kind of cool it's like yeah. that's that's what we hope and hopefully people will take that information and find a way to go turn it the, into opportunity yeah and yeah. do the hunt of their dreams so january 31st is going to be very interesting to see yeah. how many people end up in the regular pool or how many end up in the special pool and yeah. How many of those hunt codes, the odds aren't any better in the special draw. <laughs> and and all the folks in the regular draw can make fun of the fools in the special draw who paid $1,200 extra. Well, and I can for. see, you know, for a, for a premier trophy unit, if mm-hmm. you've got, I don't know what max points is now in Wyoming, but... 17 or something? Yeah. And if you've got 17 points, there are a handful of units you're not guaranteed to draw with max points. You know, you've got to, there's more people with max points putting in for that tag than tags available. So Mm -hmm. I could see some of those people saying, you know what, I just want to hunt this. It's a quality hunt I've been putting in forever. I'll spend two grand and just get the tag this year. Yeah. I I, I can see that happening. Yeah. For a general tag that last year took four and a half points in the regular to draw and I think took three and a half or four in the special to draw. Right. I don't see a whole lot of people saying I'll, I'll drop two grand to go hunt the same. What, what's a resident general tag cost? 36 bucks or something. Yeah. It's going to say 40 bucks. Yeah. They can buy it over the counter at the Walmart and now we're going to have to, you know, apply for it. And they want us to pay two grand to to supposedly have better odds of drawing that tag. I just, man, I don't think I don't see a lot of people doing that. I wouldn't yeah. do it. It was hard for me to justify the twelve hundred and eighty three dollars that that tag was the last mm-hmm. couple of years. Yeah. So I I think it's going to be interesting, and this is a little bit of philosophical, and maybe it's a little bit historical looking in the rearview mirror i think it's going to be interesting to see how many elk hunters look at wyoming as okay i'm it and i'm done yeah because you know compared to the covid years of 2020 and 2021 we've already seen the states have fewer applicants for for some hunts and in a lot of species in 2022 and 2023 we've seen that that crazy covid bubble was what it was and it's starting to dribble away 
you know, they, they, a lot of new people got into it. Are they going to stay in it? Who knows? I guess in the long term, we'll know. But uh, when you have a state that has this kind of increase, are you just going to see a lot of people dump their points and then just get the heck out? Yeah, I'll, but I'll where here. are they going to go? Right. And Maybe see, that's, that's always been the thing. Wyoming, I think, increased because it was kind of like, you know what, this, yeah, it's a controlled hunt. It's limited, but they still give quite a few tags to non-residents. So mm-hmm. all these other states that are locking down on tags, Wyoming's still there as an option. Now, Wyoming's still giving all these tags, but they're doubling the price to, to apply. Is that going to affect it? I don't know because... Colorado is not going to be able to absorb people for much longer. They're not going to absorb people. And they've been kind of the last holdout of, okay, if I can't apply here, if I can't apply here, if I don't apply here, if I don't draw a tag here, I can just show up in Colorado and buy a tag and hunt. And when that goes away, you're not going to have a choice. You're either applying in, you know, in the Idaho line, you are applying now for a, what used to be an over-the-counter tag in Eastern Oregon. You are, you know, waiting in line and hoping that you get a tag in Montana through the general combo license. I mean, it's, your options are just running out. You're going to have to play the game somewhere. Yeah. And every one of these states that you've mentioned, residents feel that they, as their resident population has increased, they've said, Fewer non-residents. That's what they've said. And so the West is growing like crazy. The Rocky Mountain states are having a population boom that's, uh, uh, I could have never seen it happening. But now let's let's kind of move to Colorado. Anytime these states start having these discussions and forming committees, kind of like (laughs) Wyoming did about four years ago, they formed some committees to come up with these ideas. Well, we got a fee increase. We got a change in the percentage of tags for moose, goat, sheep, and bison. Colorado's having committees talk about the allocation of their licenses. If I was a betting person and I could bet $1,000 of whether or not Colorado is going to change the -the over-the-counter elk situation for non-residents in the next five years, I would take that bet. I'd go to every place that would let me place that bet, and I'd bet (laughs) 1000 (laughs) bucks. Absolutely. And and maybe I'm going to be... Writing's on the wall. No, you're not wrong. It it, it has to happen. Right. It has to, because Colorado's population has went through the roof. And they've always been this gracious host of every non-resident who didn't get an elk tag somewhere else. Ah, like you said, to go to Colorado. Well, that's not sustainable. It's just not sustainable. Yep. So the Colorado residents formed this committee. And I think there's one non-resident on that committee, if I remember right. <laughs> that uh, poor person. <laughs> so, uh, I, I mean. Can you imagine being that person? I don't know how many people are on the committee, but being that know. guy in the back, just sheepishly raising your hand. Um, Just just from my perspective, what, uh, yeah. where, where, where are we at in this? Yeah. And then knowing the glares you're going to get from all the resident committee members. Yeah. So here's what I want people to think about. History says that when states start having committees meet and talk about this stuff, you probably can expect some big changes in the next two to four years. Yep. 
if you are sitting on Colorado points, I said this last year, I said it the year before, I said it before when we knew Utah was changing everything like they did last year. If you sit on your points, don't be bellyaching that, boy, my points aren't nearly worth what they used to be when Colorado makes a change and starts forcing non-residents to burn points for what are currently over-the-counter hunts. This is like insider trading information on the stock market level here where, you know, it's, you know, something's coming that's going to change the stock price here. Right. It's, uh, don't hold on to, and of course people will say, well, Randy just wants, you know, people to burn their points so he can, he can get the good hunts next year. And uh, I've watched you burn your points in multiple States multiple times. And when you say don't accumulate points, you are, uh, there's no contradiction there. No, I, I am walking what I'm talking when it comes to yeah. that. And the other, here's the other part of it, Corey. I'm 59. I'm on the far end of that tube, right? When I first started, I was 30 or 31. I'm on the other, I'm coming out the other end of the tube. And I want to see more people who have an interest in doing this, go do it. And I don't care if it's you save for one elk hunt in your life because that's your dream, fine. Or if you say, you know what, I want to hunt elk every year, that's fine. Whatever it is you want to do. But what uh, I've concluded, a couple things. One, we say it all the time here, more elk on the mountain is what improves your drawing odds, whether you're a resident or non-resident. It alleviates some of this pain and pressure that, that everyone expresses. But... Trust me from experience, I have made the mistake of sitting on points when I saw something coming and I wanted to believe otherwise. And my points got, if you want to call it devalued or deflated or whatever, I've made that mistake. Yeah. So I don't make that mistake anymore because if I see a hunt that I can get, you know what, three points, I'm in on that, man. Especially when you realize some of these controlled hunts that only take two or three points to draw, mm-hmm. are you, you, you might look at them and say, well, it only takes two or three points to draw. How good can it be? It's considerably better than an over-the-counter hunt. Yeah. So if you're looking, you know, I'd much rather have a, a decent quality hunt every three years mm-hmm. than a struggle fest in an over-the-counter unit in most states every year. Right. You know, you can you can really plan between Montana, Wyoming, Idaho's debacle, Colorado, you know, things <laughs> like that. Even New Mexico. New Mexico has some hunts that aren't that hard to draw right. that are way better than an over-the-counter hunt in most Western states. Right. And so you can almost plan it so that you're getting one of those decent hunts pretty much every year. Yeah. So I hope people do that. I hope they think about it. And you and I, you know, we're going to continue to work on how do we put more elk on the mountain? How do we create more access? Because those are, those are really the two big things. We need more access to the elk and we need more elk on the mountain and yep. all this other stuff. This is why I always have kind of a, uh, I don't know, a mixed emotion, if you'd call it that, about getting into these explanations of point systems and everything else, because I feel that point systems have been one of the biggest contributors as to why people are maybe less inclined to try to put more elk on the mountain. 
there, yeah. there, there becomes this sense of, well, I bought some points. That should, that's what I'm doing to get my elk someday. That's my contribution. It, yeah. <laughs> no, I wish these, I wish every state would get rid of point systems. And I say that they could take all my sheep. I'm max sheep points in Montana. If they told me we're going back to no point system in Montana, I would support it. Even well, your though odds wouldn't change. <laughs> right, exactly. And that's the other part. Do these point systems really increase anyone's odds? Mm-hmm. Not. Maybe for one time in their life. Yeah. But, uh, you know, you, you get all this stuff combined. And I think it it's brought forth a mindset of, well, I des- I, I, I've... I'm owed this tag and you don't have, you're not expected to make additional contribution of volunteering or donating your time or your money or, and your investment is your place in line by getting the points. Right. And so we take our eye off access. We take our eye off habitat. We take our eyes off all these important things that people before us, when these, before these systems really became prevalent, it was all about more elk on the mountain, more elk yeah. on the mountain, more public land, more trailheads, more easements. I, and uh, I know we still work hard at that as a collective community, but we got to keep working harder at it. And yeah. I, I don't want to get in these fights and arguments over, you know, I, I say we're fighting over the scraps because we've not, we, we've not put it the same commensurate amount of effort in the conservation and in the in the management and and all the other things that put more elk on the mountain and some would say I'm wrong, but I've been involved in this gig for a long time. I I can see the the shifts and the changes, and yeah. I I want to advocate for people to do more for for habitat and for the populations and for access, and it's gonna ease some of these pains that that people talk about and more people will get a chance to go elk on. Yeah. That's, and, the, and the scary part to me is with states starting to look at rest- more restrictions on non-resident hunters, mm-hmm. we're starting to already see people back East say, why should I be a member of the Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation? Is right. my, is my membership going to do any good? If mm-hmm. I'm a non-resident and I'm not able to hunt in the future in a, in a state out West, why, why should I be a member now? Why should I right. help if uh, you know, I'm, I'm the one that's getting pushed out? Yeah. And there, there's a point there. I mean, that's, I, can mm-hmm. see, I can see their, their concerns. And that's, I think, where we need to, as, a, as an elk hunting community, we need to step up and make sure that there's more opportunity, not just where there are currently elk, but in places where you mm-hmm. know, maybe there's elk, but there's no seasons right now. You know, right. Those conservation efforts need to be doubled down on, and you know, yeah. Idaho, Colorado, Montana, Oregon, elk herds are healthy. Right. You know, we we could grow them for sure, mm-hmm. but there's not a concern that oh, elk are you know they're they're dwindling here, so we need to really build them back up. It's all these places where we could have elk and we don't have elk that are going to be important in the next yeah. twenty twenty to thirty years. Yeah. I mean, think about if we improved and put more elk on the mountain in Washington. Yeah. We figured out solutions in North and South Dakota, which historically had a lot of elk. Yeah. You know, we we already look at Kentucky, you know, 14,000 elk. Holy smokes. How did they pull that off? 
you know, maybe Virginia and West Virginia become the next Kentucky. You know, that, that, that's what we talk about of more opportunity and more opportunity. Uh, they're, they're out there. The, yeah. the options are there. And, you know, I, I look at my home state of Montana. We've had a huge shift of where elk actually occur. Yeah. Central, eastern Montana are just overrun with elk, whereas they used to be rare. And northwest Montana used to be one of the elk hotbeds. Now we don't have crap for elk in northwest Montana. It's it's a, almost an elk wasteland, all because of habitat. We, yeah. we, we have federal land agencies that get sued every time they try to do a habitat project. They get sued under their Endangered Species Act. And the land managers are like, we're trying. You know, we, 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 we know what the problem is. We, we, we don't know what the solution is, but we yeah. aren't able to implement the solution. Right. We, we can't tell the federal judge, hey, stick it in your ear. We're going to do this anyhow. <laughs> you know, it'd be nice if they could, but, but they can't. So those are problems that a lot of our big national conservation groups are working on trying to solve. How do yep. we solve this litigation problem? And it is not easy because there's so much money involved in litigating. Yeah. And there's a ton of political donations involved in big furry creatures like grizzly bears and lynx and wolves and, you know, the, the list goes yeah. on and on. Well, they're using those laws to, quote unquote, they say they're protecting species. Really what they're doing is destroying species because they don't allow us to do anything on the landscape. So you have a lower, uh, if you want to call it protein pool of elk and deer and other things that all these things they supposedly love, you know, the wolves and the bears and stuff would have a lot more food if we do robust habitat management. Yep. But there's no money involved in that for them. So yeah. that's... Well, you just look at a lot of those, the, the organizations that fight against that, their only fundraising mechanism is litigation. Yeah. Like it's if true. they don't have a lawsuit, they don't have a, a way or a reason <laughs> to raise money. And yeah. so it is. It's like, hey, we have to go and fight this. Let's drum up some some donations here so we can go and fight this. That goes yeah. away. It's not like they're out spending money to improve things. They're just yeah. spending money to fight against the improvement of all these things. Yeah. And anyone who says, well, no one's doing anything in my part of the world. Well, I'm here to tell you the the national groups, uh, the Congressional Sportsman's Foundation often leads the charge on this along with the Boone and Crockett Club. But they're heavily supported by the Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation, the Mule Deer Foundation, the Wild Sheep Foundation. All these national groups are working on these kind of projects. They're working on national and federal things that affect us. Because Northwest Montana is primarily federal lands. Yeah. But if the federal land managers have their hands tied and they're not allowed to do anything, what we've seen is huge noxious weed infestations we've seen forests that used to burn regularly or have events that would open up the canopy and create forage none of that happens anymore so we and have when it does it's catastrophic rather than yeah. healthy yeah and so what used to be one of our elk hotbeds is it, it's now an elk zoo so a friend of mine ian wargo he always says, how about we manage for elk where they aren't? That's a novel <laughs> concept, right? 
instead of worrying about where they are, how about we start doing some management to make sure we have elk where they aren't, where they yeah. where we used to have them. So uh, there's there's other states like that also where you've seen these changes. Like in, you're in Idaho, central Idaho, north central Idaho. You guys, your elk numbers are nowhere near what they used to be. But southern Idaho has way more elk than it used to have. So everyone wants to say, oh, Idaho is doing great. Well, yeah. depends on where you're at. Totally. Yeah, and that's just it. I mean, we've, southern Idaho has gotten, you know, Nevada, I think, is the, is the propellant that's pushed elk into southern Idaho, which is awesome. And so you look at the overall population of elk in Idaho and you might say, well, it hasn't changed. It's healthy. But you go up the, the Locksaw, the Selway, the Lolo zone in Idaho that used to be our Northwest Montana. I mean, that was one of the healthiest elk herds in the West. And they quit doing counts and surveys there because it was pointless. There were, there were so few elk that, yeah, I mean, they cut down, I forget what the tag numbers were, but it was next to nothing. And they've come back a little bit, you know, mm-hmm. with all the efforts to to manage the bears and the wolves and other things there. But habitat is, is critical. Yeah. And the habitat piece coupled with you know, predation and some other issues, it's not hunting pressure that's killing off the elk. It's, no. uh, it's other issues. And so like you say, animals are managed by the states, but the states yep. can't do anything when the land is what needs the attention and the land is federal land. And, you know, we've talked, I, I used to think, well, then the, the state needs to be the owner of the land in the state so they can manage it. But unfortunately, there's no budgets, no revenue there, and pretty soon that gets privatized. And so, I mean, there's just it's a it's a very complex cycle and a very complex issue that doesn't have a simple answer. But the land needs to be managed first, and that that habitat needs to be taken care of so that we can maintain a population, a healthy population of animals. Yeah. And so these are all the things that when you and I say make a bigger pie, let's put more elk where people have access to them. Yeah. Let's put more elk in total. But even if the numbers have to stay the same, let's make sure that there are elk where people actually can access them. Yep. And we, we've got a lot of examples of that. You know, it, it'll be interesting to see what happens in Colorado as their herds continue to have challenges from subdivisions and development. And now you're going to throw wolves on top of that. <laughs> you got chronic wasting disease. You, it, it's hard to be optimistic about the future of wildlife in a state like Colorado. Because, I mean, it's growing faster than any of the Western states. Yeah. And, uh and but, it also has the largest population of elk. Yeah. So, to me, what happens in Colorado is very important to me as an elk hunter. Yeah. Because, one, I like to go there. But, two, if Colorado does not have the capacity to host as much non-resident hunting as it does, uh, going back to your point where the non-resident from Wisconsin who feels left out because... You know, why should I care? I don't have a place to go anymore. That's a legitimate concern on their part. Well, it's just going to accelerate if we don't keep elk herds up throughout the entire West and yeah. add add elk where 
there could be more elk. And maintain opportunity for these non-residents. I yeah. mean, that's a, I don't know if you look at like the Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation, what percentage of their membership is in the 10 Western states that have elk versus the other, you know, 40 states yeah. that don't have a, a healthy, open population of elk hunting. I would have to say that their their revenue is heavily biased on those other states. And if those, those, those states, those people from those other states don't see a benefit to, to supporting that, that's going to impact us in the states where we have elk. Yeah. And I mean, it's just, it's a, it's a big complex puzzle here, but to say, yeah, you know, I, I drove home from uh, whitetail hunting this last weekend and somebody has a billboard on a private piece of property that says, uh, hunt your own state. Idaho fishing game is selling us out. And I'm like, you know, that's a, that's such a close minded perspective of get rid of everybody from out of state. These are our animals. We should be the only ones to hunt them. We miss out on so much. And there's so much that happens because of non-resident hunting, not mm-hmm. just in our state, but in every state that it's, uh, we're, we're shutting ourselves off if we do that. Of course, on the other side of the billboard, it said, hunt quietly, stop social media hunting. Um, so it's, uh, yeah, there's, there's, there's always, there's a character in every crowd. But yeah. um, we just, you know, there, there's so many pieces here that we just have to work together. We have federal land that is managed at the national level in every state. Mm-hmm. And we have state-owned animals you know the wildlife in the state so i mean it's it's a big piece that we all have to work together to manage and yeah yeah, there's going to be limited opportunity for non-residents but we can't close them out and we can't uh we we can't close the door on them and expect that we're going to be able to maintain all the things that we need to be able to do to provide you know and, and keep this opportunity that we have as residents in whatever state it is yeah, I, you know, when you get to that non-resident thing, let's face it, in, in this country, since 1842, when the United States Supreme Court heard the case of Martin versus Waddell and decided or stated that under the United States Constitution, wildlife is held in trust, and they, they rationalized how it went. It didn't say this in the Constitution, but using the Constitution as the basis, here's how they came to the decision that wildlife is a state-based resource held in trust by the states for its citizens. Not, not, not for me as a non-resident of New Mexico, not for me as a non-resident of Nevada or a non-resident of Wisconsin or wherever. The only place I am a quote-unquote beneficiary of this trust arrangement is in my home state of Montana. Every other state I hunt, I am there at the benefit and leisure and pleasure of whatever that state decides to do. So yeah. we we that's where we've come up with these kind of caps of 10% or, you know, some species or some states it's even more generous, some states it's less generous. But that's where this comes from. And I get the knee-jerk reaction of, I'm going to get rid of the non-residents. You know, here in my home state of Montana, that it's kind of good sport that you blame everything on non-residents, especially if they're from Washington, Oregon, or Colorado, or California. (laughs) 
that, that's really, you know, that's the fairest of all sports is to blame non-residents from those three states. But the reality is our budgets are heavily funded by non-residents here in Montana. And so as much as I, I, I get where people have their frustrations, but it's a frustration that is a pretty narrow mindset. Yeah. Uh, it's and definitely if, not seeing the whole picture. And if every state went, you know what, 90, 10, well, I guess what? I'm a non-resident in those states. I'm, 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 I'm on board. I, you know, whatever you guys decide, yeah. it's, it's your wildlife. It's your priority. Just say what you want to say or do what you want to do. And I accept that. That's part of the way this country was formed. Any, the 10th amendment says any right not granted to the federal government is retained by the state. Well, in that court case, it said one of the rights states hold is the right in the wildlife vested, this trustee relationship of, of their state. And they never gave that to the federal government. So by default, it's a state-based asset trustee arrangement. So uh, if you believe in the Constitution and you believe in <laughs> that we're a country of laws, this is how it is. So, like you said, there's a lot of moving parts. There's a lot of bits and pieces here. We got to figure out how to make it work for all of us. How do we make this work for all of us? And I keep coming back to that. The, the, in my 40 years of, of being involved in this kind of stuff, it comes back to the more animals we have on the mountain and the more acres of access we have. That's the best solutions. And as this country grows in population, I mean, we're, we're, we're racing towards 400 million. And it, when I was born, our country was, I think, 280 million or something like that, 260 million. We've added 100 and – no, it's, I can't remember. I should look it up yeah, before. Saying, but we, <laughs> we have added tens of millions of people to this country in my lifetime. Yep. And we're going to add tens of millions or more in the lifetime of these listeners. So how do we make place and space and priority for the wild things we love, whether we hunt them or don't hunt them? And that, that's the big challenge. And us fighting amongst each other over resident and non-resident and all this, if that's our sole focus, we're, we're not going not gonna to get to where we could get to. So, yeah. Well, and you just, I mean, to, uh, I think we've probably beaten the, the yep. horse here enough, but if you're, if you're looking like that billboard said, you know, keep non-resident hunters out, hunt your own state, that's great. It, it gives us, you know, in Idaho, another 10% of animals, you know, mm -hmm. it eliminates a, a certain number of hunters, but where's the funding going to come for, from, for those, those, it's going to have to be distributed among yep. the resident hunters, which, you know, you might look at and say, okay, that's great. We'll, we'll take that on. I'll, I'm okay with my elk tag being $120 instead of $40 or whatever it is, you know, and, and there, most people would probably be okay with that. But there's so much more to that. Where is our national funding? You know, where are the, the national groups that are here because they say Idaho is open to every state. So these national groups are putting energy and effort into access into management, into habitat, that's all going to disappear. And when that disappears, who's paying for that? 
Yeah. You know, and then the, then the residents of the state are going to be going, whoa, we didn't realize we're getting all that money at the national level to manage so much more that is critical for our wildlife. And there's just, there's big things moving here that you disrupt one of them and it's going to be a cascading effect that is going to negatively impact what your end goal is. And if your end goal is to be able to have more animals to hunt and less people, like you said, put more animals on the mountain and open more access. Yeah. Well, you want to hear some good stuff about the whole access thing? Yeah. If you subscribe to the emails from the Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation like you and I do, on November 14th, you got the email about the completion of the Minam River Wildlife Area in Oregon. Yep. 15,500 some acres that the Elk Foundation, Oregon, uh, ODF&W, uh, and uh, a timber company, I think, called Manulife. Uh, it's been multiple years putting this project together, but here it is. 15,000 critical acres that open up access to even more than that 15,000 because of the consolidation of all this. And you touched on a lot of things that make this happen, right? It's not like all of that money came from Oregon RMEF yeah. members or other donors from Oregon. It came from across the country. And there's going to be residents and non-residents that enjoy this place. And there's going to be projects in Idaho or Kentucky or you know wherever it might be that it's about improving access, improving habitat. And if we all want to get in our own little silos and our own little camps, we're going to get steamrolled. Yep. That's that. That's what it comes down to, right? They'll just pick us off little group by little group. And someday we'll be staring out the window talking about, I wonder how the golf greens are today. <laughs> yeah. Good luck waiting and getting a tea time there with all the people that can't hunt. Now have to go to golf. It's just going to force more people onto golf courses. You want to, you want to know what's so funny. Uh, a guy I know who's a fanatic golfer, uh, his wife, I was talking to him the other day and she's like, all he does is complain about how many golfers there are since COVID. I'm like, this is like the hunting and fishing and skiing and every other world. And she's like, he gets so frustrated because you got all these new golfers. They play so slow. They don't understand etiquette. They, they won't let you play through and they're everywhere. You can't get a tee time anymore. Blah, 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 blah. I'm just thinking, man, I could just replace golfer with whatever yep, else. Exactly. <laughs> it's funny. He blamed the, the, the blame in the golfing world is everything's blamed on COVID. Yep. You know, brought all these people. They had nothing else to do, and they had all this money, so they all started golfing. <laughs> it's like, but yeah, that's a sidebar. So, just to uh, to put some statistics to what you're yeah. talking about, in 1970, yeah, there were 200 million people in the United States. Okay. Today there are 340 million. Yeah. So I was six years old in 1970. Yep. So, so. we've. We've gained 140 um, million. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So that's a 70% increase in 50 years. Yeah. You look at Colorado. Colorado in 1970 had 2.2 million people. What do you think it is right now? Over 8 million, I bet. That's just under 6 million. Okay. 6 million. So almost tripled in 50 years. Right. right. 
So the the rate of population growth in our Western states has far exceeded the rate of population growth in the country as a whole. Yep. And so that creates pressures when the residents of those states say, hey, (laughs) you know, under this state-based relationship that the Supreme Court said existed in 1842, how about you pay attention to us a little bit here? (laughs) And so... Their legislatures change the laws, and that's that. You and I can't change the law, Corey. All we can do is to hope people know it's coming and give them information and ideas of how they can navigate those changes and and make it work for them. And in the process, keep our eye on the bigger prize: yep. more elk and more access. And we have to look ahead. You yeah. know, that's uh, I think a lot of these closed-minded residents are not looking ahead 30 years. No. What's what's the state population going to be like? What you know, what can we do now to affect the trajectory of where we're going 30 years from now? Yeah. And I think that's why it's so important, you know, somebody like the Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation in 1984 saw what was on, saw the writing on the wall and said we've got to do something now because in 2023 there's going to be a whole bunch of issues that if we don't get on top of we aren't going to have elk to hunt. We aren't going to have places to hunt them. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, do you think anybody in, say, 1990 in the state of Washington thought that they would end up with a commission where six of the nine members want to enact a policy that eliminates hunting as the primary management tool for ungulates and other yeah. wildlife? These are commissioners it, on a fish and game agency. Right. So do you think that anyone saw that coming? No. Uh, or if, and do you think that the Washington hunters uh, are are wanting fewer of themselves to help fight this? <laughs> no, we, we should, we, we're just going to let yeah. one guy hunt. You know, they, I, wish our voice, need... I wish our voice was much smaller than it is. Yeah, yeah. So I, this is all trying to look further down the road and. The generations before us had a long-term vision. And that's why we have so much opportunity and blessing that we've had in the last 20 or 30 years. The people who came before us, they didn't say, well, what's in it for me? Yeah. They said, what's, I, I'm one little part of this bigger thing. How, this bigger thing called hunting and, and conservation. How do I do my part to keep it going and keep it going? Yeah. And, uh, Let's keep it going. Yeah. There we go. There we go. I, I've, I've <laughs> solved all the world's problems, Corey. I've, I've told the, I, I think everyone's going to check in for the next podcast to see if I'm still married. <laughs> <laughs> Should we take bets on that one? Uh, uh, if there's anyone near Bozeman, Montana, who I could hire to come and rotate the tires on my wife's Honda CRV, I might, I might be hiring them. <laughs> or if, if someone has a floor jack, I can borrow because I, I, I mean, I could change those tires or rotate those tires in 20 minutes if I had a floor jack. But yeah. evidently, you know, it's like I, it's optional. If, if if you want if you want fluid in your hydraulic floor jack, well, you got to pay extra. <laughs> <laughs> or what? or Randy will tell you tell you where to not go if you want fluid in your floor jack. Yeah, I've I've done a pretty good job of not ratting that group out. Yeah, you but, have. Uh, 
But if the next time things go snare wire there, I might have to just say, hey, avoid this place. Yeah. Uh, I think we got everybody on board, right, Corey? They they got they they can all commiserate about what happened in in Idaho once this podcast drops. It's already yeah. passed. They got Alaska. We've told them about the big change in Wyoming. And hopefully we've taken their mindset to start looking forward if they want to elk hunt in 2024. Yep. Because totally. that, that's what we want them to do. We want you to be an elk hunter in 2024. That's right. Yeah. And if you are, all right. We hope we see you out in the woods. Yeah, well, unless it's in my state, then I hope I don't see non-residents here. <laughs> oh, you're the guy. You're the guy who bought that billboard. Now we know. Uh, no, like like Randy said, I think uh, the more of us that join in together and have a voice, the more change we're going to be able to enact, and the more we're going to be able to accomplish for the future of of elk and other wildlife. Yeah. Well, you know, and. This is this is getting a little squishy and, and warm and fuzzy, but uh, my wife and I have kind of this thing on Thanksgiving morning. We get up and we have coffee while we're throwing the turkey in the oven and stuff, and we start always rattling off all the things that we're thankful for. And it takes us the whole morning, and we don't even we don't even get a start on it, but. You know, as it relates to you and this podcast and, and all the blessings uh, of of life for me, uh, those are those are on that list. You know, just living in this amazing country that we do and having all these opportunities and having audiences and listeners who are as passionate about these things as you and I are. And they they are doing so much for hunting and fishing and, and conservation in their state. Uh, when I was rattling off all my things, uh, I made note of, of all of those. And so for you and for the listeners and, and everybody who puts their shoulders to the wheel of conservation, I'm, I'm very thankful for that. And, uh, likewise, the, the, the podcast is never going to be long enough for me to rattle off the entire list. <laughs> I'm thankful for, but I'm a lucky guy. I think if we all sit down and think about it, pull our, ourselves a little bit away from the, the passion of it, uh, we realize how lucky we are to live in this country and get to do the things we do. So Absolutely. But, yep. Hey, huh? should we let well, them go? We should think- let them go on that note. That's a good one to uh, to sign off on. Yeah, you tell those basketball players that you're going to go coach here in about an hour that Randy Newberg says don't leave any fouls on the bench. We got to do something because we have a game in four days. So (laughs) we've got a lot to get done this week. (laughs) Uh, Well, good luck in the in the game, Corey. Uh, And uh, I'll give you a report from Arizona when I get back. And uh, hopefully it's a good report. Hopefully all my late rifle tactics tactics actually work if i come back and i don't have an elk people are going to be like don't listen to anything he says about a late <laughs> rifle hunt no good luck to you i'm uh, i'm excited to hear how that goes because i hope to uh someday soon be on a late rifle hunt or a late archery hunt in arizona myself yeah well thanks for listening folks appreciate y'all being here
I hope you all, well, yeah, we'll have another podcast before Christmas, but just in oh, case yeah. we get tangled up, we're going to wish you Merry Christmas, even weighing <laughs> it. We, we said we are deadline. We're, we're like the first guy uh, when, uh, right, when the sales come open for buying yeah. points. Well, we're going to be the first folk, first guys to wish you Merry Christmas. I had uh, I attended a funeral for an old friend that uh, passed away here a month or two ago, and he always, first thing he'd say when you saw him, whether it was February or April, Merry Christmas if I don't see you before then. <laughs> there you go, folks. Merry Christmas if we don't talk to you before then. <laughs>